We are back again. It is Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I am Josh, and we are here to give you part five of Lord of the Rings and the Two Towers today, where we'll be tackling part one of the extended edition of the film, the differences between the novel and the movie. So really excited to jump into that there. It's one of our favorite things that we do here is really kind of detailing some of the you know key things that change throughout when you're reading something through the original author through a film adaptation. And so there's a lot of great stuff that that goes down here. I will say, you know, we talked about it a little bit. It just changes perspective so much. So we kind of had to do the differences between the film and the novel for the two towers all at the end, just because it doesn't add up right. And you'll, you'll see what we're talking about here in just a little bit. Cause yeah, I made a notation every single time that it changed perspectives between Frodo and Sam and then Legolas and Aragorn and Gimli and then Merry and Pippin. So it's, it's it was a fun weaving in and out of, of trying to remember and go back and really get to the crux of the bigger differences throughout this first part here. So it's going to be a fun one. But before we get started, I'll turn it over to Chase to say a few words, and then we'll dive right into it. Yeah, man, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> we'll talk about that towards the end of this episode about this part one. But I thought they've done a great job so far in the movies I've seen and some interesting takes on some things <laughs> we'll talk about today. But I'll turn it back over to you and let you get us started. All right, sounds like a plan, dude. So, um we just kind of go over through a quick recap we finished up the two towers the novel completely yesterday or i'm sorry last week and we were able to kind of cover all the big things that happen on the frodo and sam side of stuff and so some of the things that we'll talk about today will be something that we've discussed in the past couple weeks with the frodo and sam stuff some of it's going to be a couple weeks prior to that with the the aragorn and gimli and legolas stuff so uh we'll try to keep you guys on track the best we can the way uh the way it was broken down so i think peter jackson did it a cool way too if i'm going to be honest just simply because um it's it's great to get like perspectives in real time as things are happening to both uh, characters or that's all characters simultaneously so when you know when certain things are happening it's not going to be like oh this happened way after you know the other team did xyz so i actually kind of like the way that they did split it up it just is hard to uh to kind of split up a differences episode and and make it make sense so uh, we're going to give it our best shot here and so like we'll we'll do this old school style i'll say a couple differences that i notated and i'll pass it over to chase he'll say a few and and we'll get through this bad boy so uh let's raise our drinks in the in the air and get a little malice in the chalice cheers and we'll get started malice in the chalice man good stuff cheers brother All right. Off to the pit of misery. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. All righty. So the first difference that I notated, and it was pretty much the opening scene of the film, uh, we had that where I was mentioning Frodo sometimes, and this I think I mentioned this back in Fellowship of the Ring when we were talking about it. Sometimes, especially in the novel, it seemed like he had some sort of premonition dreams. And this is one of the times I'm talking about because it, the, the scene opens up with what happens after Gandalf falls. So we can see a big part of what happens anyways we don't see it fully until later in into this in movie but uh he has the premonition dream we get to see gandalf fall down kind of start attacking the balrog in the middle of the air and eventually we see him crash into the water way down below however many thousands of feet they dropped and then frodo wakes up with a, a start and he realizes that it was only just a dream but you know, actually in reality it wasn't just a dream it is something that that did happen so that the, we don't really get that sort of perspective in the book. Also, in the book, we don't get Sam and Fro's perspective at all until halfway through it, where the movie starts off right here with Sam and Fro's perspective. 
Uh, one thing I noticed is like the whole rope incident they had with the Elvis rope. It was just a little bit different. Nothing too crazy, but I just wanted to just talk about how when they were trying to find their way down, it was a lot. They made it seem in the book a lot harder to get down from that ledge uh, with with the rope, and they had forgotten about it. And Sam's like, "Oh my gosh, I remember." And that's what I'm talking about here from the book perspective. And then even so, it seems they had they had to remember I had to climb back up because they didn't go far enough, or they were too scared because they couldn't see, it, and Furrow kind of blacked out as well. So there's just a little bit of difference in there. Uh, also, when Gollum ends up showing up, the battle between Gollum and Frodo and Sam went a little bit different as well. There's just a few you know, minuscule differences. Nothing, like I said, that really affects the the outcome or the plot. Just little small de- details there. Um, next thing I have, too, is uh, this is where we talk about where it shifts like automatically. So after Gollum joins them and tells them to follow him, he kind of freaks out a little bit and runs away and they think he's gone and that doesn't happen in the book at all. And then he's like, follow me hobbits. It was very interesting. But right after that, this, the like perspective shifts to Merry and Pippin with the orc horde. And with that, I'll turn it over to Chase to say a few and we'll keep this train rolling. Yeah, no, that was great. That was pretty much everything I had. Uh, I do have that conversation where you were saying, like, what he was like, come with us. Because there's a part I thought was really funny. He, like, turns around and, like, screams or something. I guess he's, like, fighting with his inner self. And he, so this is, like, I'll start right when he shows up. He's, like, thieves, thieves, the filthy little thieves. Where is it? Where is it? They stole it from us. My precious, curse them. We hates them. It's ours, and we wants it. And that's when he's choking, you know, Sam, and Frodo tells him, this is Sting, you've seen it before, and tells him, release him, or I'll cut his throat, just like the book. But then as he puts that (laughs) rope on, he's like, it burns, it burns, freezes us. Nasty elves twisted it, take it off us. And then Sam tells him to be quiet, and eventually they decide to take it off him. But as, like, he's going, kind of, like, goes on his own way, he goes, <laughs> he, he goes, yes, on the precious, on the precious. And then he leads him to the black gate and goes, but I swore to serve master of the precious. No, ashes and dust, thirst there in pits, 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 and orcsies, thousands of orcsies, and always the great eye watching, watching, this way, hobbits, follow me. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> but I just wanted to like say that dialogue because it was such an odd moment. You, it goes back to what you were. We've been talking about all these weeks. He definitely has like some. I don't know if he's psychologically healthy. Is what I would say. And back to you, man. Yeah, he he's got some inner demons, literally. So that's uh, really interesting. <laughs> And, you know, I think one part of that, too, is I just want to clarify, they didn't get to the Black Gate just yet. They still have to cross a few things, but he agreed to take them there. So that that's the big mm-hmm. key. Uh, then from here, we're talking about on Merry and Pippin's perspective with the Orchord. This is just another one of those quick little quips that they add in the film that just wasn't in the book. I thought it was funny. You know, uh, Chase and I like pick on this a little bit, but the one of the Orcs is like, what do you smell? He's like, man flesh. <laughs> and so they, he's like, <laughs> they picked up our trail. But that never actually happens in the book because uh, when they say they say quicken their pace, and then it, it shifts to Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and they listen to the ground and they hear like the the picking up of the speed. That actually is not what happens because in the book they were 
it, it says here in the film that they were less than a day ahead of us talking about the Orcord, but in the book, like the, the distance between them and the Orcord kept growing, and they couldn't match the pace because they would have to take rests and they would need to sleep. And I remember that you know, reading it, they ended up losing a lot of ground on the Orcs and. With, if it wasn't happening, like if what the riders of Rohan didn't do, they would have lost them and they wouldn't have got to them in time. They were right on the edge of Fangorn Forest, which is, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump from Isengard. So that was just something that was just a little bit different I wanted to talk about. Speaking of Isengard, this is the time where we get that really cool, iconic line from Legolas. He, like, jumps up on the rock and he's like, they're taking the opposite Isengard! <laughs> it was pretty cool. So <laughs> I like that. I was kind of, and then this is going into the actually the city of Isengard here. It was cool to see the destruction of it and the creating of that large army, and we see a, a few things kind of go down there, and we, the trees getting ripped off and thrown into the fires down below, and you know more orcs or urukai are being bred, and you see them coming out of their little uh, sacks of, of <laughs> whatever you call those things, and um, it was really cool to see. It, uh, it was nice. It was a cool visual to how this army was created and how they were kind of basically using up everything Isengard has to make this one big push and take uh, a big swipe out. And they wanted to really eliminate Rohan in total, so it was great to see it on screen. And then just the last thing before I turn it over to Chase, another thing I noticed is that uh, in the book, there was never the orcs never attacked like a, a Rohan village. You know, what it really reminded me of, kind of, but Game of Thrones did it a little bit more uh, rated, rated R, I guess I can say. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. they, they they straight up murdered a bunch of people in Game of Thrones. You could see it uh, on screen. Here, the orcs raided, and you know, those two little kids got away on the horse. But you could see them coming in and burning the the tents and the you know the buildings that they had, and you could hear the screams and stuff. But it wasn't. It, it was reminiscent of when I would say like the the wildlings went ahead and. Uh, attacked that one I think it was like what's it called uh, I forget I forget the name of it it was like Moltown Molestown yeah they attacked Molestown and they just destroy everybody or whatever and like and mm-hmm. they like when they they killed Ollie's parents and he's like I'm gonna eat your dead mama yeah. and I'm gonna eat your dead <laughs> papa so it just kind of reminded me of that a little bit um, was that with the Thins? Did that happen in the season with the Thins? Yeah, yeah that was the Thins. Yeah, they oh, it was God. they did. It. <laughs> that's right. They did it with the Wildlings. Oh, they did it together, and so that was right before the Battle of Castle Black. But this this kind of like orc raid reminded me of it, just at a lower scale. Not you know we didn't get to see many people die. We heard a lot of screams. We assuming a lot you know people didn't make it. Uh, they were caught unaware, and they just you know flat open. But that also just didn't happen in the book. Uh, and so with that being said, I'm going to turn it over to Chase to give a few of his takeaways. No, that was great. Um, uh, I guess just a little side note where, you know, we always harp on this scene, man flesh. But one thing that was really funny was, you know, Pippin was telling him that Mary was sick. And he was like, he basically drowned him with alcohol. And he was like, uh, Pippin says, my friend is sick. And he goes, Sick? Is he? Well, give him some medicine, boys. <laughs> like, we're drowning him with it. It looked almost like car oil. <laughs> the wine was so black. And then he started laughing. He said, he can't take his drought. <laughs> and then he said, leave him alone. And the word goes, why? You want some? Then you'll keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I thought it was great, man. <laughs> oh, it was so good. I smell man flesh. 
They picked up a trail. <laughs> so good, man. That's all I had. Turn it on back to you, brother. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, this is another difference I noticed is that uh, King Thaden's son, Theodred, he was still alive in the movie. He was obviously unresponsive and unconscious, but they brought him back to the city of Edoras alive. And in the book, mm-hmm. he was already dead. He had already perished in, in uh, the time there. So mm-hmm. then, then this is another big... This is probably one of the way... The bigger differences that we'll find here, at least through part one, uh, is when Aomer gets back to Edoras and presents the white, the, the the orc helmet with the white hand of Isengard on it to basically say Saruman's a traitor. And you know, Wormtongue is like, Oh, he has ever been our friend and ally. And they end up uh, having this quarrel. They brings him, he drags him to the side and he grabs him up by the throat and he says, uh, how long has it been since Saruman, Saruman bought you? And he's like, "What was it, what was your price?" And she, he he looks at uh, Aowen, and he's like, "Too long have you haunted my sister's footsteps?" You know, and something along those lines. And then the guards end up grabbing him, and Wormtongue ends up banishing Aomer from Edoras. All that never happens in the book at all. Aomer right. <laughs> was there from like the the start after they, they they had that interaction with Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and telling them about you know how they left none of the orcs alive, but to go look for the hobbits and give them the horses. Like all that was pretty pretty accurate. But from there, they go right back to Edoras, and and, and this is talking about from the book's perspective. Aomer uh, asks Aragorn to go there so they can like draw blades and fight alongside each other. And Aragorn's like, I can't right now, but I I, I will do so like once I can get an idea of what my, where my friends are if they're if they've made it or not and you know so when they all end up getting to Edoras Aomer was already there and he had he didn't leave so that like, he wasn't banished that was a really big difference because it almost takes out the other guy here Erkenbrand which I'll talk a little about later he just doesn't make an appearance in the films at all um, but I thought that was pretty important so they also didn't have that weird one-sided romance either between Worm Tongue and Aowen in the books so it was never mentioned at all mm-hmm. so that was just a big one I did think the fighting between the orc factions was funny, and then like I, I'm no chases. I know I know Chase has got this written down, so I'm not even gonna take it. I just thought like that one part where he says, "Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys." <laughs> like I thought that say was your, really say funny. your iconic line, like the Anakin one <laughs> with the orc. I don't know which one that say is. Say the one about the legs. <laughs> <laughs> what about their legs? They don't need their legs. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, actually, since we're at that point, I'll let you go ahead and, and take the part about the, the, the meats back on the menu because I know it's one of your favorite ones. So, I'll turn it over to you and you get, give him. I'm sure you wrote down the whole thing. So, <laughs> oh, oh, I had to. This was, you know, what's funny is when I do these differences, like, uh, just so the audience knows, I know you already know this, Jay Nelly, from knowing me for years. I write down, like, ridiculous differences. Speaking of the name Ridiculous Patronus, our brand here, <laughs> all these differences that really don't matter at all, and some major plot point that's different. I'm like, eh, all right, I let it slide. <laughs> like something like this, I'm like, oh, this this cannot be forgiven. <laughs> this cannot be forgiven. Uh, so the first orc, I labeled them just so y'all can follow along. I labeled them as orcs one through five. <laughs> so one through five. So Orc 1, the head honcho here. <laughs> no, actually, this was like the almost like the understudy Orc at this point, because this starts a little bit for, before, but he goes, we're not going any further until we've had a breather. Get a fire going. 
We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread in three stinking days. Yeah, I want some meats. What about them? They're fresh. They are not for eating. What about the legs? They don't need those. Oh, they look tasty. Get back, scum! The prisoners go to Saruman alive and unspoiled. Alive? Why alive? Did they give good sport? They have something, an elvish weapon the master wants, and it's for war. Just a mouthful. A bit of flank. <laughs> he cuts his head off. And he goes, looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. <laughs> and then, of course, the guts and everything go everywhere. And then, uh, this is where it gets extended a little further, is Mary and Pippin get trapped by Orc 5, I called it. the one Josh's favorite here. What about the legs? <laughs> they don't need those. And he goes, go on, squeal. No one is going to save you now. And that's when an arrow hits him. And then he backs up and the riders destroy them. And, uh, and then we find out what happens later on. <laughs> and I'll let you take it away, man. <laughs> Dude, that was actually really good. Like, that was a really good synopsis of what happened. Only one small difference is that he didn't get hit with an arrow. It was with a spear. But outside of that, Oh, I it couldn't was... tell what it was. It was so damn it... dark in there. <laughs> yeah, good call, though. <laughs> it was one heck yeah, it was one heck of a quick rendition for, you know, just taking some quick notes. That's dope. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, the, brother. <laughs> the next one I had here, and I already kind of went over it just to reiterate. In the book, Aomir asked Aragorn to come back to Adder and fight with him, where in the movie, Aomer is banished and can't go back to Adoras, so that's that's a big difference there. Uh, also, talking about that uh, orc that wanted to eat the legs, the, they were uh, Merry and Pippin, in the novel, they were actually not pursued by an orc when they went into Fangorn Forest. The, the, the orcs that went ahead of them like to get away from the riders home were like like destroyed by the uh the trees <laughs> like they were really fucked up so there was no orcs that that trailed Merry and Pippin specifically into the forest then this is another big difference this is something i liked better about the book that i wish the movie had incorporated is that in the book when Aragorn Legolas and Gimli finished looking over the dead orc horde and when they needed to rest and finally like you know take an, take a breather after running for however many days it was uh, they rested, and in the night, an old man came and set their horses free. And that old man was actually Saruman, because when they finally meet up with Gandalf, Gandalf's like, yeah, that wasn't me. So uh, that's definitely mm -hmm. something that I think would have been cool to see Saruman being like an old man doing some tricksy stuff and uh, releasing the horses, so they're kind of screwed. But we didn't get to see it. Not a big deal, though. Also, the next thing is like the way they encounter the Ents is a little bit different. They didn't just climb up a tree and Pippin grab its nose and be like, whoa, what's going on here? Like The, the ant kind of went up to them as they were walking through. And I also want to say this, too. The ant was, in, in the novel, Treebeard was a lot more calm about who they were at first. He didn't automatically think that they were little orcs or that they were going to um, be harmful to the forest. He just was like, yeah, I've never heard of hobbits before. And he remember he had that like little poem of all the things on Earth and didn't have the hobbits in them. So I just thought that was just something worth just mentioning quickly. Next thing I have is that, uh, yeah, th th this was kind of cool. Like the whole, the, the white wizard will know and drops him in front of Gandalf. It was different, but like that was pretty sick, you know, because like the way the yeah. movie did it, if you guys remember, is that you didn't even get to see who it was. Obviously, we know it's Gandalf because we, you know, we went through it, but in that exact moment when they drop in front, all they look up, all we get to see from the camera angle is the back of like a white robe and with white hair, so it looks like it's Saruman. And so I thought that was really cool the right. way they did that. 
but then here we go again with a quick perspective shift. It goes back to Frodo and Sam. And this is only a couple things that I'll mention here on this end. I know Chase probably has a little bit more between the Frodo and Sam and Gollum one, but just most of it was pretty aligned, you know, fairly closely with what was in the novel. But Gollum has this weird thing where he tries to draw common ground, you know, saying like, like you know, the master knows the ring grabs a hold even and never lets go. And, you know, tries to even comfort him and put his like hand by him. And I was like, don't touch me. <laughs> it freaks out a little bit. <laughs> so that, that never really happens in the novel, but it was a cool little ad. And then this other big one here, uh, Frodo had never fell into one of the marshes. So they made, they made it through the passage of the marshes just fine in the novel. No issues. Cause Smeagol was really good about where they put their hands in. Well, what the movie did, and it's actually kind of cool in a way, we got to see yeah. all the dead faces, and where even Gom says, don't follow the lights. Uh, he falls directly into the marsh, and you see these like ghostly figures like clawing and grabbing at him, and he's like drowning, and Gollum f- pulls him back out of the marsh. But it's just something that doesn't happen in the novel. It's a completely uh, you know, an addition that wasn't there. So that was just really interesting and definitely worth notating. And then the last thing I'll have before I turn it over to Chase is I just thought this was cool to, to mention. Thinking about where what the two, when the two towers came out, what was it, 2002, 2003? I'm not sure. When two, probably like somewhere around 2001, 2002 was when the two towers came out. But how well they did the dragon that the Black Rider rides or whatever you want to call it, the, the, the wraith, I thought that looked really cool to see on screen, especially for that time. Like that, and like for that day and age... The, the CGI and the creation of that winged beast that the Black Rider was riding on, that was really cool to see and really impressive for how long ago it was. So that being said, I'll turn it over to Chase. Yeah, it was uh, 2002. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you nailed it, especially like through the marshes. One thing I thought that was really cool was, um, you mentioned it briefly, but when remember when um, Aomer actually arrives and just like the book, it was actually all dead on. You know, he was like, he was, he was telling Gimli, you know, he would cut off his head if he stood but a little further from the ground. And Legolas, that, I thought this was really cool because it really showed, like, how their friendship has grown even in the film. You will die before your stroke fell. <laughs> like, it was badass. That was really cool. Um, and I thought you were going to mention this part. Remember, like, the orc in the film that was chasing him through the forest? You mentioned it, how it was different. <laughs> I thought you were going to say... Do you remember that part, right? Yeah. Where then he, that tree beard? Yeah, he, yeah, he goes... He tells him, I'm going to rip out your filthy little innards. Come here. Let put a maggot hole in your belly. <laughs> That's when, like, he, like, kills him. The tree beard steps on him. Uh, and I thought you nailed it through the marshes. I thought this was funny was... Uh, just a little bit before then you know you have this scene that was really happening very similar to the book just not in the exact way but it was about like the how starving he was and Gollum said no no birdsy no crunchable birdsies we are famished yes famished we are precious and he eats the worm and Frodo throws him some bread and Gollum goes, what does it eat? Is it tasty? Ah! And he, like, eats the bread and goes, it tries to choke us. We can't eat hobbit food. We must starve. Oh, cruel hobbit. He does not care if we be hungry. He does not care if we should die. Not like master, 
Master cares. Master knows. Yes, precious. Once it takes a hold of us, it never lets go. Because Sam said, we'll starve. <laughs> In good riddance. So I just thought it was really funny. But no, I thought you uh, nailed the part through the marshes, just like you were saying, you know. Uh, I thought this was interesting that they mentioned. He was talking about like a great battle that happened there long ago. Um, I think it would have been interesting if the book went into a little bit more of that, but we really don't find out. Do you think that was something they just made up where Gollum said this quote here as they were going through the marshes? All dead, all rotten elves and men and orcsies. A great, his grammar is horrific. A great battle long ago. The dead marshes. Yes, yes, that is their name this way. Don't follow the lights. Careful now, or hobbits go down to join the dead ones and light little candles on their own. So I've always wondered, like, what actually happened there? Any idea what happened with that? So it, it, to me, it probably was the first Great War. That was that would make the most sense, you know, being how close they were to the gates of Mordor at this point in time. You know, the we them coming out, talking about the armies of Mordor coming out and facing the armies of men and elves in battle and like the dead just kind of laid there that's what i would think i don't know for sure i think that that is from the first great war when El- you know when we see that in the very beginning of fellowship of the ring with elrond and the arrows flying past him and he cuts mm-hmm. the uh, you know the cedar cuts off sauron's finger and i th- think that's what it is but i could be wrong no that's a good one i'll try to uh look that up and put that on our youtube for the interesting facts <laughs> we've been putting on there that's interesting but yeah man no i i thought you i thought you nailed it and i'll let you go ahead and take it away all right, cool. And then from here, the scene shifts back to Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn. And their reintroduction to Gandalf was it was pretty cool. And it was very closely aligned with how it went in the books, too, about how they wanted to attack the White Wizard f- quickly so that way he didn't have a chance to, to speak and put a spell on them. And when they tried to, it was it was really cool. You know, Gimli threw the axe, and Gandalf broke the axe with his staff, and and Legolas shot an arrow, and you know he knocked the arrow away. And Aragorn he went to like charge with the sword, and the sword, you know, embers grew super hot in his hand and melt, like burned his skin, and he had to drop the sword. And then it was even really, really, I love the way that Peter Jackson did this, and it was very creative and thoughtful. He started Gandalf here with his reintroduction to Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn, and honestly, the the audience at a whole, the reintroduction by sp- him speaking in Saruman's voice, and then it finally faded into Gandalf's voice. So that was really interesting and really cool how they did that. I really enjoyed it. I also thought there was like a funny little quip that that they added there as well, because uh, Gandalf was giving Gimli a hard time for you know not taking too much care in the forest. He's like, the new Gandalf is more grumpy than the older one. So I thought that was interesting. Then uh, Gandalf and Aragorn, they're talking about Sauron and Saruman's strengths and fears. And it was kind of close to what was said in the novels. It's just not dead on because they, the the books never says that Sauron fears him specifically talking about Aragorn. I think it's just Gandalf trying to tell him like, hey, it's time. I know you've like turned from this path, but you know, you're, you're one of the big, you know, hopes here for this valley. We're going to need you. You know, I want you to know like how important you are. You know, these these key enemies they fear you you know you're gonna be the one to unite them all again you know you're you're the blood of Luminor Numenor lives in you so I thought that was pretty cool then I will go ahead and take this last one before I turn back over to Chase is that the perspective shifts back to Frodo and Sam after that and they are at the black gate now we're gonna figure out what happens but before we do turn it over to Chase 
yeah, uh, that was uh, that was awesome. I, I do. Uh, I mean, you nailed it on that battle and everything. Um, I mean, did you want to go into exactly what happened at the Blackgate? Because that actually worked out <clears throat> well. Because I, I'll tell you, keep going. Because I didn't have anything up in, that you didn't cover up until the Blackgate. So I'll let you go ahead and take that. Yeah, the only thing I had at the Black Gate is just the big difference of what happens there. So they see the armies going in, which is kind of similar to what happens in the book, and they're overlooking it. But what happens in the book is that Gollum basically like, begs them not to go there and tells them that there's another way when he realizes what their plan was and how stupid it was. Like, Yo, you're just going to walk through the front doors with all, with all these, yeah. you, know, you know, all the guards. And you got to see. And I will say, the way that the like it visually looked, like the Black Gate, on screen looked very similar to how I pictured it in my head. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. And all the hills around really it, cool. and it was, you could see how reinforced steel and how thick the, the, the gate was, and there's orcs on the top of the ramparts, and, you know, the, the army's walking through it. It was really cool to see. But major difference here is that Sam never looked out over on that little outcropping of the rock or whatever, or the, the earth that was not stable, and he never falls down it. And, you know, Frodo never runs after him. And they never have, like, that doesn't happen in the books. And then when they have, like, the two army guys, people in that, that uh, army that's walking into Mordor, there's two individuals that come to investigate. And they walk up, and then Frodo throws over the elvish cloak on him, and it looks like they're a boulder, so that way they don't get caught. That's cool. But they, that just never happens in the book. It, it was, that's just a, so for me, what I've been kind of noticing as a theme is the movie, what it's been doing, it, it, it follows along, like, like, well enough. And just what it seems to do is just add a little bit of drama. That's really what it kind of seems to me. Just adds a little bit of drama here and there that just aren't aren't in it, which is cool. Like you know, that's you're gonna have your, you know, you're gonna take your liberties with it, especially you know, being a director and you want to put your stamp on it. So yeah, no problem with no no problem with that addition at all. It's just it just never happened in the book. Um, so yeah, they don't rush and they don't try to rush the gate like they were about to. You know, Gollum grabs them back. Uh, here in the in the movie, that doesn't happen in the book either. They were gonna try to make him one last run for it. So all this never really happens because Gollum tells him about the secret path before they make a move to go to the gate. And this is like one thing I thought was really really in- better. Like they, this is one thing specifically that the book did really really well. There was this really epic monologue, and I I don't have the page number, and maybe I, I can go back and find it. But he has, he doesn't, in this movie, he basically just trusts Gollum. Like, All right, you know, I'm going to keep, you're going to hold you to your word. You've been good so far, so we're going to trust you, Gollum. Where in the book, he said, he had this whole thing about how he would use the ring against Gollum if he had to. He would tell him to, like, walk off of the, a cliff because, you know, he can't resist the power of the precious. Mm-hmm. He had this really badass thing, like, you know, but that's a very few times where Frodo is, like, an intimidating character. And so the, they, I think they really missed out on an opportunity to put that on screen because that, that was something really cool that the novel did. And like I said, I'll try to find that exact monologue and uh, find out where that is and, and read it out. But that was a big difference because it just never happened there. And then the perspective sh- shifts to Merry and Pippin. But before I do that, I'll go ahead and give it to Chase so maybe he can talk about what happens at the Black Gate and from his viewpoint. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. And one thing right before then, I thought this was cool. You mentioned it, but... Just when um, uh, Gandalf was there, well, actually at the Black Gate. So, uh, did you mention before? I want to make sure you mentioned this. I mean, it's all pretty much the same. But the, I thought it was really cool. Like when they were at the marshes, by the way. Just going back a little bit, 
I thought visually it was really cool actually finally seeing the wraiths like on the ri- uh, the dragon kind of thing. What do you call that thing <laughs> it was riding on? I think it's the Nazgul, right? That's what it's called. Is, it, is that the, the actual name of the beast? I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, whatever the beast is. But yeah, I did. When you were looking up the, the date for the two towers is when I went over how well, that's why we were even talking about it, is because in 2002, the CGI effects, the, you know, it was a crazy how how well that it looked for the time that it was made you know that that winged dragon or beast looking thing looked amazing for 2002 and that's what i was mentioning and why we even checked out when it was made because i wanted to see because that cgi was that held up pretty well over the years yeah no that was perfect i just wanted to make sure i thought you said something about it i just wanted to make sure um the next thing i really have because i really didn't have a whole lot there but i was just going to mention like you mentioned the cloak and all that I thought it was really cool seeing how the trolls actually opened the gate. Like, they were using those mountain trolls <laughs> to, like, turn, uh, I guess you want to call it the lever or whatever you want to call it, to, like, open the gate. And then the next thing I have is uh, back to where we are in Rohan. So I'll let you go ahead and take it away. Yeah, that's the, the, actually the next perspective I have, I believe, is, uh, what's to see here? Merry and Pippin. Because this is something that I have, this is in the, them in Fangorn Forest, that, what's really interesting, and, and this is a complete ad, and it's, I think it's only on the extended editions too, which is the ones that we watched, but um, they, they remember they had this whole conversation, they were drinking the Entish water, and Pippin and Mary were arguing about who of them was supposed to be taller, but because Pippin was drinking the water, he kept like growing, and then eventually the tree that they were sitting on like attacked them and wrapped them up in, and brought them under its roots. And that never actually happened in the novel in Fangorn Forest. But, but my thought process is, and I'm thinking, and I'm wondering, and I want to get your take on this too, do you think that they did that and had a tree attack and, like, and suffocate and bring them under the roots because they left out the old forest and the Tom Bombadil side and the, and the Fellowship and they wanted to kind of give like, you know, a little bit of an homage to that even though it didn't happen as it did in, in the books here in Fangorn. Do you think that was their way of giving us them almost getting trapped in a tree like they did in the old forest back in Fellowship? What do you think? Or do you think it was just an accident and it just ends up being kind of similar? I mean, they could. I think it was more of they didn't want it to be boring. <laughs> like in the book, remember? I forgot what it, his name was. That tree that was like Bragdebin or whatever his name was. Briegelad. It was Briegelad. That's it. They were drinking mead for like three damn days while they were trying to figure out what to do. I don't know. Could be like an homage. But my only argument with that is if you really wanted to make an homage, why wouldn't you at least just put like a cameo of him in there in the fellowship? Yeah. So I. Yeah, I don't know. Because that's where what Tom Bombadil first saves them. Remember, like they they were getting sucked in by the tree, and Mary it was mm. actually Mary and Pippin specifically who were sucked in by the tree, and Frodo was falling into that that river, and that's when Tom Bombadil came and and sang to the tree, and the tree did its thing. So I don't know. It, it it just drew a lot of similarities. So I was curious if you think that they did that on purpose, and that was kind of a a little wink to or an Easter egg because they left out the old forest of fellowship or if it just ended up being, you know, something to add dramatics to it. And it was just a coincidence of how similar it kind of appeared. So who knows? Nothing too crazy, but figured I'd bring it up. Yeah, no great thought. I mean, I, I just, like I said, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it could have been like a hint of an homage, but 
Also, I think Peter Jackson didn't want this to be boring. So <laughs> with that being said, back to you, man. All right, cool. Now I do have going into the perspective of Gandalf, Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn here. And this is them approaching Edoras and getting to speak to the King Thaden. And the, the whole part where they take the weapons from them actually is very, very similar to how it happens in the book, too. But the big thing that's very, very different between the novel and the film in this, in this exact spot is the way King Thaden's mind was poisoned. It's so much different. Because like, the way it's poisoned in the film and what we see on screen, it's like a full-blown possession. Sauron is possessing Thaden's mind, and, and he even ends up speaking through him at one point. He was like, if I go, King Thaden dies. And Candace's like, you did not kill me, you will not kill him. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so it's just one of those things that this all just really never happened. It was, you know, Wormtongue's role... Uh, in the in the novel there, he was bought by Saruman and was poisoning his mind, but it wasn't something where he was as withered. And you can see him. He looks like he was uh, a gust of wind away from turning into dust, like on that throne room, you know what I mean? He was, he was looking rough. And, you know, being poisoned by that and, you know, Gandalf finally releasing him from it and he ends up showing the white cloak for the first time and then smashing his head against the back of the throne chair with the staff like all this just this never happened <laughs> like it just yeah. this didn't happen in in the book at all like he is able to uh you know just kind of breathe in some fresh air to king thaden in a way and get worm tongue away from that because he he was using like a silver tongue and it would, i think it was just like oppressively that negative energy was wearing on him and that was like his only trusted confidant and so that you know, he wasn't actually possessed at all in the book, and I don't I think many people remember that. And I think it's really important that it was it was he was definitely being guided and misguided by Wormtongue, but he wasn't possessed by Saruman at all. So that's definitely something I wanted to mention. And you know, it was kind of funny too. So there was no throne room brawl is what I called it where like the men like start like attacking and then all of a sudden Aragorn starts throwing punches at the people and Gimli's yeah. taking people's legs out and you know he's like I wouldn't move if I were you and like, like that all just all added dramatics it never happened at all <laughs> so that that was interesting <laughs> and then when Gandalf finally smashed Thaden's head against the the throne one last time Saruman himself was thrown back from wherever he was doing the possession from over in his tower in Orthanc. But here's why I think this could potentially cause an issue for, I don't want to say a plot hole, but it, Saruman did not know that Gandalf was stronger than him in the book until they came face-to-face in Isengard after the Battle of Helm's Deep. Now, right. this is where it kind of gives you a problem because... Saruman just got drawn out by Gandalf and without much trouble at all. And so that kind of shows you yeah. Gandalf is stronger than Saruman, and that kind of gives it kind of throws a big issue there. So that's why I just didn't like it too much, um, just simply because of that fact. It was cool to see. It was funny, and it had its impact. But I think it kind of could potentially alter the, the storyline of their them two finally meeting in Isengard and figuring out you know, who the stronger wizard is and who's the new leader or who would be the leader of their their council. So just something I thought there. And then last thing that I thought this was really important to notate as well before I turn it over to Chase to catch up is that Thaden in the book was actually very merciful to Wormtongue. 
But he gave him the opportunity to earn his loyalty back. He said, fight alongside us at Helm's Deep and tell you, you can prove to me where your loyalties lie. And that's when Wormtongue just like sprinted away and just ran off on his own. So he, in this movie, there was no mercy at all. <laughs> he threw him out onto the steps, tried to kill him with the sword. Aragorn had to like hold his hand back before he killed him. And that was, it was just completely different. So I thought that was really interesting how, how much more merciful and understanding King Thaden was to Wormtongue in the books. That's something that many people will probably forget about. And he, he did give him the opportunity to earn that loyalty back. And he just didn't take it because he didn't want to risk his life. You know, his life was more important to him than fighting for his king. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, I'll turn it over to you to, to catch up from where you're at. No, that was great. That was fantastic. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't know. I kind of like the way they did it. It reminded me of, like, the exorcist <laughs> in a way. He said, uh, you're right, he said, if I go, Theoden dies. You cannot kill me. You will not kill him. Rohan is mine. Be gone. <laughs> it was like a, like the holy water Van Helsing all over again, man. It was, I don't know. I, I agree with you 100%. I think it definitely causes a problem. I think they, I don't know why they chose to really do it that way. I think the only part they got that was right was that one line, which they really miscontextualized. Was when he was like, you would have had me on all fours begging like a beast. And he was like throwing his sword down. But like, I mean, if that's like the biggest liberty they took, whatever. Like, I've seen a lot worse happen. Like, I didn't, I didn't mind it. Like, I thought it was kind of cool in a way, but I agree with you 100%. It definitely could cause major issues. But luckily, I don't think it did because of the way they were able to do everything. But, um... And which is funny because we really can't answer a lot of that because the way this movie is broken up compared to the way we just read this book. So it's just kind of the way it is. But uh, it was very interesting. Remember, and then he, I liked it how it was in the book, like you said, like how they took their weapons and stuff. But yeah, he went in there like he was, he, yeah, he was like a spellcaster. It reminded me of like Severus Snape when he walks into the class and shuts all like the windows in the films. <laughs> Turn to page 667. <laughs> Shit's about to go down. By the way, on another side note, like I really like how you described the marshes earlier. It reminded me a lot of like the Inferi kind of scene in like Harry Potter and that sort of thing, like in the book and stuff. But yeah, man, no, that was great. I'll let you go ahead and take it from here, man. That's what I had. All right. Uh, the next thing I have on my end is Eowyn sings this random song for Theodrid's funeral. Um, was not really in the book. Don't know why it was necessary. And she just kind of belted it out out of nowhere. We're all silent and like mournful. And all of a sudden, <laughs> she just starts belting out a musical number on her own. Uh, thought that was kind of weird. Could have done without that. Very straight. No microphone or anything, man. Side note. It was, it was very weird. It was like one of those crying ones, too. <laughs> Felt very, it was very uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> Keep going it, after you. It was, yeah, I, I could have done without that. <laughs> then, <laughs> then, the next thing I have is, this is another big key difference too, is exactly why the Battle of Helm's Deep is, was being 
you know, it was starting before, you know, it was the, the inception of when they decided to go to Helm's Deep is just different between the novel and the film. So, in, in the book, Thaden wanted to go out and pursue open war in a way because he he learned that Erkenbrand and the the, the Westfold riders of the Rohirrim, you know, they, they have the east side with Aomer, and I think they have probably a north and south as well. But we also hear, we hear about that the west side with Erkenbrand as their you know leader. They, we hear that they come into some trouble and so he wants to reinforce them the plan wasn't directly to go right to helm's deep it was to go reinforce them and meet the orcs out in open field and that was with the plan yeah. in the book where in the novel he's just like we're just gonna leave Edoras and make for the safety <laughs> of helm's deep <laughs> it's just, he's like I, I would not risk open war and everyone's like well you know open war is upon you whether you risk it or not my man so uh that just didn't happen in the novel that way just wanted to make sure that because I, I actually like the portrayal of King Thaden in the novel much better than I like his portrayal in the films because he was he's very more like more about the action I guess I can say and I, I appreciate yeah. that so next thing obviously we, we have mentioned this and I just mentioned about Eric and Brand you know Eric and Brand and his men don't exist in the films and just making that up because because Gandalf ends up leaving but the thing is is that you know since we've already went through the details of what happened in the novel when we cover the novel in its entirety i don't i don't feel bad saying this but at the end of helm's deep when gandalf comes back in the book he comes back with Erkenbrand and the Erkenbrand's men and a bunch of ents like or what are called hewers like the ones that aren't quite ents yet the, the trees that are kind of in between regular trees and full-blown ents and that's what he comes back with at the end of helm's deep where the end of helm's deep in the movie which we'll talk about next week you know he comes back with different I won't give it away, even though we already know what happens. But, um, yeah, he comes back with different people. I'll say that. So that that was definitely uh, a difference of when Gandalf leaves. And then just thought this was super random. There was this horse that was just not behaving, and Aragorn goes over to it and speaks some Elvish and calms the horse down. So apparently that was necessary. I don't know why. But <laughs> that was kind of silly. Uh, then... That then I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll stop right here. And I'll turn it over to Chase to kind of catch up with what he's got, and you know, then we'll finish up because there's only a few more that I have throughout the remainder of the film. Yeah, no, that was great. Um, uh, I had almost exactly what you had, like, but one thing that really got me is like where just like you mentioned, you know, you have that conflict between Theoden and like the rest of the people of deciding what to do. Well, like, who in the world? Like, knowing who Aragorn is talks to Aragorn this way. <laughs> like, I mean, I get it. You're King Theoden, but we know where Aragorn, like, what his future probably is. And he says to him, last time I heard it, it was Theoden, not Aragorn, was King of Rohan. <laughs> like, so disrespectful, sir. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, you're a king. I get it. Like, you got kind of a big place, but let's just be real. Like, you're basically in charge of a suburb of what Aragorn can be in charge of. So, like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, what is it? <laughs> Last time I heard. Last time I heard <laughs> you were a piece of shit. So maybe you should step aside for a minute. <laughs> That's my thoughts. Anyways, uh, I did like this interaction with Aragorn and Eowyn. Did you have that part? No, go ahead and take it. I thought this was really cool. Because you kind of get to see a little bit more of their relationship in the film than you do in the novel. Like It's almost like they interact a little bit more. And 
Aragorn comes up to her as they're all kind of preparing for their next event here. And Aragorn, you know, she's, you know, wielding around her sword, I would say. Aragorn says, you have some skill with a blade. And Eowyn says, women of this country learned long ago that those without swords can still die upon them. I feel neither death or pain. Aragorn, then what do you fear, my lady? Eowyn, a cage to stay behind bars until us until use and old age accept them and all chance of valor gone beyond recall or desire. Naragorn says, You're a daughter of kings, a shield made in a Rohan. I do not think that will be your fate. And I just think it was it was really cool monologue that you had there, and she was like wielding the blade and stuff, so you kinda get this foreshadowing of that she's not just a maiden. You know, like she actually has some skill here. So I thought it was really cool. And it made me even think back to where we were having that debate earlier uh, as we were on this big arc here. You know, I think they definitely got some spark going on, man. There's definitely, just like Taylor Swift said, sparks fly, <laughs> clearly. But uh, with that, yeah, I'll turn it back over to you, man. Yeah, I love it. Sounds good. That was funny. Um <laughs> Next thing I have, I only have a few more to really kind of close out the the film. But in terms of differences here, Wormtongue never has like a debrief with Sauron where we find out, where Sauron himself finds out that Gandalf found Aragorn, Isildur's heir. And he argues that he's like, that line was broken long ago. This is, you know, so the, the reason why I thought this was kind of silly for them to kind of put in the film is simply because... It, it adds to the level of surprise because now what Sauron can do is tell Sauron through the their little communication, and I know that the communication thing hasn't come up yet in the film, but it has obviously through the, the novels that we've read. He would be able to tell him right away, and the, the surprise would be up. And then all he would just unleash everything because you know that the air is there, and he could unite everyone. Well, well, if I know that, I'm pushing the issue now. You know what I mean? So I just thought that it was uh, a, a bad ad just because of what it could do for how it could affect the plot line really and this this one is something that could negatively affect the plot line you know finding out that the heir to the person that cut off Sauron's rings out there it's going to change the way like battle and and tactics go from here for the bad guys you know so I thought that's definitely something that was worth mentioning then we get that perspective switch to Frodo and Sam and Sam and Frodo have this little bickering argument. I'm sure you know Chase likely has some of that dialogue between the two of them. I didn't put it down, but the only reason I wanted to talk about it is because in the book they don't have any quarrels or arguments really at all. Uh, they don't even have like a disagreement yeah. amongst each other, not even once. But in the film, you know, back to mentioning that you know adding the dramatics, that they there's like a point of contention between them. They snap at each other. And, and it's going to be a little bit of a foreshadow of what ends up happening in the film that does not happen in the books at all when we talk about this next week, what ends up happening uh, between Frodo and, and Sam. So I definitely, definitely thought that that's something worth notating. Then this is also something kind of cool. Smeagol, towards the end of this film, breaks the hold that Gollum had on him. And he's like, leave and never come back. And he ends up being completely free of Gollum for a, a, a certain amount of time. That's not, that, that never happens in the book. He never gets any level of freedom like that. So that was something very interesting and different that the, the, the film kind of put in there. So I just wanted to make sure that that was, that was mentioned as well. 
that uh, Smeagol was able to fully break free from Gollum in the, in the film for a decent amount of time until, you know, bad fortune happens. <laughs> it kind of sucks because it would have been nice to have a nice Smeagol, I guess. But that even even so, if it was, that would be a new liberty that the the film would have taken just because it just never happens in the book. He never fully gets that freedom. He's always constantly fighting that inner demon with himself in the novel. So, and Three more things. The Smeagol doesn't bring the rabbits back on his own accord like he does. So the film, he just he ends up being nice because he ends up breaking free from that hold that Gollum has on him, and he's like a like a happy dog almost. Like here you go, master. Here's some here's some like treats. I, I got some rabbits. Well, if you guys remember in the book, actually Sam asks him to go find some rabbits, and he does that. Uh, you know because Sam asked him. So that was just a little bit of a difference. Nothing too crazy, but just mention that. Uh, the Oliphant thing that was a little bit different. You know, it, it mentioned like how the Oliphant was in the in the book was charging through it. it, had like the tower collapse on the side, and it said he doesn't know if that if the Oliphant ended up running to the the river and, and meet its end there or what ended up happening. We didn't really see any of them rampaging. We saw one kind of move quickly, but it was just a little bit different. It was kind of cool to see the war elephants, though they look they look kind of cool <laughs> on screen, uh, I guess. <laughs> but it was just a little bit different there. And then, you know, this is kind of an interesting point, too. Of why they did, I don't know why they decided to do this, but if you guys remember, in the book, they were actually approached by Faramir and three other people. They were rangers of the south. Uh, uh, and Faramir himself, before Faramir and his men attacked that army, where they actually, it's the exact reverse here in the film, they were approached um, after the attack. In, in the in the film there. So like I don't know why they decided to do it that way. And very, very interesting. But anyways, uh, the, and then just the last thing I have too, and this this is gonna be something I talk more about and draw more, you know, evidence and, and you know, bring it to a higher light. But Faramir, he's he's a lot nicer in the books than he is he's kinda of a dickhead in the movie. He's just kind of mean and just <laughs> rough and like I get it, his brother just died and we don't really know who he is just yet either. So, you know, if you can take this with a grain of salt too. At this point in time when Faramir's introduced and takes Frodo and Sam captive, we don't know who Faramir is from this exact point in the film. But obviously since, you know, we've read the the book we know who he ends up being and all, all of that. But his his personality just seems a lot different between the film Faramir and the novel Faramir, and it, I don't think that really changes. Uh, you know, that's something that is completely different, pretty much the entirety of the series. And I don't know why they just couldn't characterize him properly. But yeah, those are all the differences I have between part one of the film and what those parts were equated to in the novel. Uh, what ones do you have to to close out the differences on your end? Yeah, no, I th- I think you nailed it, man. Uh, just some things I have is really dialogue because I just think it's funny. Um, so I, I, I took note of what you said about the, you know, the, I guess the dispute between Sam and, uh, Gollum, but I didn't write too much on that. The big one I had was the one you went into. It's when he's fighting with himself. And this was just absolutely hysterical to me in a way. I almost like, and I hate Gollum. I can't stand him, (laughs) but I feel bad for Smeagol in a way. But it, this was hysterical. And uh, Gollum is, like, fighting with him. And he goes, we wants it. We needs it. They stole it from us. Sneaky little hobbitses. Wicked. Trixy false. No, not master. Spiegel speaking. Back to Gollum. 
Yes, precious, false. They will cheat you, hurt you, lie. Master's my friend. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. Not listening. I'm not listening. You're a liar and a thief. No, murderer. Go away. Go away. I hate you. I hate you. Where would you be without me? Gollum, Gollum, I saved us. It was me. We survived because of me. Not anymore. What did you say? Master looks after us now. We don't need you. What? Leave now and never come back. No. Leave now and never come back. Ugh! Leave now and never come back. We told him to go away. And he's gone, precious, he's gone. Gone, gone, gone. Smeagol is free. <laughs> Just fantastic, man. I loved it. It was excellent. Uh, for some reason, just like, you know, the Green Goblin. <laughs> like, I love when people are fighting their darker half. Smeagol's on sabbatical, honey. That's <laughs> great. Uh, next one I had jumping over to here was, this is just like you were saying. It was kind of similar to the book, though. Uh, not where, like you said, he went to tell him to go get the rabbits. But kind of similar in the fact, like, he didn't like the food. But, uh... Sam says, uh, remember he was like eating the rabbit raw. Sam goes, you'll make him sick. You'll be behaving like that. There's only one way to eat a brace of conies. <laughs> and he's boiling it. And Smeagol goes, ah, what's it doing? You stupid fat hobbit. It ruins it. All we need is a good few taters. Taters? What's taters, precious? Potatoes. Boil them up, mash them up, stick them in a stew. Lovely big golden chips with a nice piece of fried fish. Even you can say no to that. Oh, yes, we could. Spoil nice fish. Give it us raw and bringling. Or keep your nasty chips. <laughs> Sam just goes, you're hopeless. That's <laughs> fantastic. And, uh, yeah, no, and that's all I had, man. It was great. Uh, I, I I couldn't stop laughing through that part. It was just the best part was now there's memes you can find of Gollum where he says, "You don't have any friends." <laughs> I imagine that's how when I have kids one day, if I have kids and they are supposed to cut the grass or something, they're like, "No, Dad, I'm going to play with my kids. No, go play with my friends today in the cul-de-sac or whatever. It's Saturday." And I would say, "You don't have any friends." <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, man. What do you think of this part one overall compared to the book? Yeah, good question. Uh, so for me, you know. I really liked it. This has been, and I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse when we keep comparing it to how poorly we thought the Harry Potter series had done with its film adaptations. But this is just like leaps and bounds better, in my opinion. The the overwhelming 
plot areas don't change too much. Like, there was a couple things I noticed that could have potentially affected a few things, and you know, but for the most part, the most part, it was really close. And it, being it's not going to be exactly the same, and the things that they did change, some of it was cool. A lot of it were like the visual side of stuff that you know we get to see on there, and you know the added dramatics just for the effect of making it a little more exciting. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I, I really did enjoy it as a film. Now, if you're going to ask me where I would rank it in, like, a scale of 1 to 10, um, man, that, that's it's a tough one. Because th- there's not enough that happens in this first part of The Two Towers to where it's one of my, like, most exciting ones, right? It just kind of sets stuff up. Right. So I would probably give the film an 8.1 out of 10 for this. 8.0, 8. 8.1 8. out of 10. Just simply because they they did a good job of making it interesting in a non-interesting span of time. So yeah. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what the, the kind of good compliment I can give it. And, you know... It, it, there are periods of time in the book that we mentioned that are unexciting, right? So it's going to happen. You know, obviously, if you're you're following close along to the novel as you should be as a director, like, you know, just making little nuanced changes here and there, there are also going to be times that are uneventful there in the film. So yeah, it was cool though. There did a lot of things that are very, very similar. Like you had mentioned when Aomer gets off his horse and tells Gimli if his head stuck up a little bit off the ground, he'd take it off. And then, you know, Gimli and Legolas defends Gimli and puts the arrow in his face and said, you will die before your sword fell. Like that was almost spot on word for word in the book. And then when yeah. they took, like I said, they took the, the weapons there in uh, Edoras. That's when Gandalf decides he's going to, oh, you wouldn't part an old man from his walking stick, would you? And you know, <laughs> it's, it's, there's some things that the dialogue is almost word for word. Some of the things that they're saying. So they do it. They did a good job. They did a good job overall. And they said, there's only two to three changes that they made that I just I'm not, I'm not happy with just because of the potential problem it could cause, but it's not something so blatant where it's not even like the same film or same movie as the book, right? Like that, that that's the same that's the issue I had with the other things that we've covered is that man I can't even know how you could call that film the title of the book that it's supposed to represent because it's not even the same. So like, like, Goblet like, of Fire, right? Like it's just <coughs> Goblet of Fire, <laughs> really. Yeah, it's amazing how certain things, you know, some, yeah, if you do, then you take your time and do things well, how, how be- the better of a product comes out. So, yeah, that's that's my, my thoughts on it. You know, 8.1 or 8.0, 8.1 out of 10 is where I kind of put part one of the two towers in between. And, yeah, kind of give me your thoughts and give me your ranking. Yeah, I'll, I'll even be generous. I'll give it an 8.5. Like, I thought it was, uh, just like you were saying, it, it's, hard to really get a lot of action out of this first part because there's not really like a big i mean you had that like battle with the orcs and the riders but like i mean that's like really all you had and it was kind of from like a distance you couldn't see much so damn dark it was like uh you know the long night <laughs> like on screen you barely see the shit but um <laughs> but no from honestly like uh and i know i've said this before and Keep in mind, I can't relate to what a director goes through because I imagine it is a very difficult task, you know, taking books and putting them into a script because there's a lot of material. However, I told you an interview I watched before we even, you know, started on this big arc just because I like, you know, we like to do our research beforehand. 
Peter Jackson, the cast was talking about like when they filmed this in New Zealand, he was always handing them a copy of the book just to look through and like read and kind of get an idea of the character feel and the events that happened there. Um, and I, I don't know, and I hate to keep harping on other franchises and stuff, and I don't know about like if how much the directors read the book in Harry Potter, but like the unforgivable, <laughs> I keep saying this in the words of Tyrion Lannister, this this is unforgivable. <laughs> this cannot be forgiven. <laughs> but like Harry Potter, like they missed so many things. It was changing a plot point. And that's where I think like you really step over the line at that point. And this doesn't do that. Even adding little things, like even the Gollum thing was very like interesting. Even though technically it could change this little character persona a little bit, it wasn't to the point of it was changing an entire plot that was going on here. Um and I like the way they were able to piece it together by jumping from perspectives. Because imagine if you're watching that on film, the way this was written out, you would finally be like towards the end of this long... Because really this movie is like six hours if you look at the extended edition here. You get like to the second half and you're like, I forgot these characters were even here. Especially imagine watching it a year later. <laughs> like imagine like, like where were these people the whole time? I knew, I remember them walking off on a boat, but where the fuck have they been? Yeah, that's the way it would have been looked at. And so, in, from an audience perspective, like especially if you're not reading a book, you know you got to be reminded of that, and you want to know like what they're going through at the same time. So I thought it was a very interesting take. Um, and I like the little ads they did here and there. Like, I like the little orc thing, like how they stepped on the orc because it was so damn boring. <laughs> that damn chapter was so boring. I told you that's the one chapter, I think, out of almost any series we've covered on the show that I read that I was dozing off. I had to read standing up. It's like, how many times is Brie Galad going to hand him some mead? Let's go, man. <laughs> Let's pick it up. But... So I think overall, as a film perspective, in taking the major plot points of the book, I know some things were a little bit different than Wormtongue and his personality and things there, but overall, the consensus of what you're trying to do is still there and getting it done the correct way. So give it a 8.5, man, for the film. Awesome. And I'm really excited to you know go into the, the next film because... I honestly think, and I'm sure we're probably going to do like a ranking thing towards the end of Lord of the Rings where we rank our, our favorites of everything you know, in order between books and films. I'm sure we'll probably do something like that because we normally do. But I, I, I've really always liked part two of The Two Towers, so I'm going to, be see, I'm going to really pay attention and see how it stacks up against the novel and, and where those entrances are. But that's next week, you know, so uh, this one was cool. It was more of a, it was more of a setup uh, film. You know, it was like the, the part of the film, kind of setting things up to, to uh, you know, big things coming in motion for the immediate future. So, really excited uh, to do that. And I don't know, did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we closed out for the day? Or? No, man, I thought that was great. Um, one thing, too, on a side note is like mo the majority of the actors that play their roles played the characters pretty true to their nature. Like, even looking at, you know, Sam, Frodo, Mary, Pippin. Gandalf, Legolas, Gimli, all, all the major ones, Gollum, like, I gotta say that, the 
guy that played Gollum and Smeagol was perfect. <laughs> like, absolutely fantastic. So I thought it was great. But no, man, it's, it's going to be good. I'm really looking forward to next week because that's when we really get to watch, you know, the action go down on screen. And, you know, just like Johnny Cash says, this train keeps rolling. <laughs> we're, then we're in, in the third gear here. So I'll, I'll let you close this out for the day. Sounds like a plan, man. I'm excited. So, you know, guys, if this is your first time uh, tuning into us, we hope you enjoyed what you heard and that you want to stick around. You want to figure out where you can find us. We are on social media and all the social sites. We are uh, at uh, Official Ridiculous Patronus on Instagram. We're at Ridiculous Patronus on TikTok. We're at Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy for our Facebook fan page. We have our own website, uh, RidiculousPatronus.blogspot.com. We are also on Twitter at RP Factor Fantasy and Snapchat RP Factor Fantasy. On top of that, you know, if you are looking to figure out where you can listen to the podcast itself, well, if you're an iPhone user, you can find us on Apple Podcasts if you're, or iTunes. And then if you're an Android user, you can find us on Spotify, Google Play. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Podbean, our host site. We're on Stitcher, Acast, uh, Audible, Amazon Music. Wherever you get your podcast, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there. So please go ahead and leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Spotify has star ratings. Go ahead and leave us uh, ratings and reviews wherever you can. We enjoy the audience engagement. Leave comments. Uh, you know, post your opinions. We check that stuff out. And so we're looking forward to that. And you know, we like I said, if you have stuck around for all this time, you are the shields that guard the realms of fantasy, and we really appreciate you here at Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. But we're out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, Signing off. off.